Ladies and gentlemen, live from Manchester, your hosts Josh Sandy and James Herdman present the final cut. See the sound set in your eyes, see the thorn twist in your side. I'll wait for you. It's the final cut back with Josh Sandy and someone I've been waiting for here in the studio, James Herdman. Oh, of course, I'm running late. As we all know, the buses in Fallowfield are absolutely out the window today, it would appear. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that I start with, started with a bit of U2 to celebrate uh, St. Patrick's Day? I like it, a bit of Bono. Bit of Bono. Is that a U2? Yeah, I always get Bono definitely. And, I always get Bono and Sting confused, and mm. I'm not entirely sure why. Well, Sting, we're going to keep it kind of, kind of Irish-themed somewhat. I must have told this on the pod before, but do you know how Snatch, Snatch came about? No. So Snatch actually came about because in some vague story, Sting somehow knew Guy Ritchie. And mm. Sting ended up producing Snatch, and he is actually the barman in Snatch. I don't realize that yeah, Sting in, produced it. Yeah, yeah, he, he produced Snatch and um, Lockstock. He's mm. either the barman in Lockstock or Snatch, and that's kind of how it all kicked off. And yeah. I, w- I was thinking that is one of my probably favourite Irish-ish accents from Brad Pitt. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that, to be fair. Oh my goodness, Snatch is an absolute watch, Josh. It's unreal, man. <laughs> it's unreal. I have had good things about it, to be fair. It is ridiculous. It is such like an amazing British, Cockney, Irish comedy thriller just like just the most absurd things happen it's one of those films you watch and it's just everything just clicks into place you know like the first scene of baby driver yeah where it's the most slick unreal sort of race scene that's like the entirety of snatch and well, that's what i was gonna say sort of the whole thing now is sort of there's been a whole generation of um british uh crime capers shall we say <laughs> have you ever seen the one of the one patterns i've seen have you ever seen harry brown before oh the original with uh the old fella. Yeah, that was like 2006 or something, wasn't it? Yes, no, I never saw it. I kind of started it and I thought it was a bit dark and a bit oh, sad. It's, it's so dark. It's uh, <laughs> Michael Caine playing a yes, very Michael old Kane, man. Of course. And uh, Plan B, the um, rapper, is the Is main he in villain. it, really? He is, because I think he was, an, he was an actor before he turned into a, um, a rapper. <laughs> really, really? He's, he's, he's come a long way. He's making a comeback now, I think. I, is he, I, I remember him being in the charts a while back, and he did just kind of disappear, didn't he? Yeah, and then he, <laughs> I, I think he came back briefly doing like jazz or something. But now I think he's back to the uh, yeah. Sort of everyone, thing everyone's again. trying their best. So, have you seen anything recently, uh, Josh? It's been two weeks. It's been a while. It has been two weeks. Uh, last week, I spent a lot of my day at uh, a lot of my weekend, sorry, at the cinema because I went to the Manchester International Film Festival. Oh, I bet that was exciting. Did you get anything for free? I did. I got two showings. You for got free. two showings. For, why don't I use these? I always wonder that one. Why don't I use the free showings? Yeah, it was quite a. It was a weird experience because it was an Odeon, which I absolutely despise. Oh, with the funky carpets. Odeon is what can I be described as walking into a 1990s fever dream. It's weird, isn't it? It's, it's like a. It's like the place that. It's like the la- the cinema that time forgot. It's trying to look 60s, but ends up just looking like really well, bad 90s. I don't think. I don't think that it's intentional, though. That was my thing. Is that. Because if we go down the escalators, there's sort of a mural around it. And because I turned up really early for the showing I was meant to be going for, I was just sort of wandering around, just out of boredom. And I was like looking at all the characters on the mural around the escalators. And the most recent character I could see on it was <laughs> Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan, which would have been 98. I was going to say like 01, but yeah. That's around what... around the, the turn of the century, that is really old. And they have all the weird... Kind of arcade game yeah. just at the bottom randomly that no one really touches. It feels really, it's a weird, that building itself is really weird because it's far too big for what it is. 
Thing is, it's right next to my favourite casino in town, <laughs> Manchester Two Three Five. So I always see it, and there was once I was trying to play a poker game, and I just thought, oh, it's not started yet. Better just pop to the cinema for a few hours, yeah. and you just get to watch a little thing by yourself. But yeah, I know it's weird. Like when, I, especially when I saw the first film I saw was a, a documentary called Public Figure, yeah. which I'll get on to reviewing in a second. But I just want to say that the second film I saw was Princess of the Row, and that was amazing. Just really? Pulled, I haven't uh, even heard of it that yet. That film was incredible, well, because it's um, the Manchester International Film Festival. Most of the films, are like that was their, their like, UK premieres, oh, so right. they haven't been picked up really? for distribution. Wow. But we'll get on to that in a second. Um, but I just want to say that uh, the first one, no adverts. Second one, there were adverts, but they weren't film adverts. They were like... Uh, car adverts? No, no, they were adverts <laughs> for like the surrounding restaurants. But it was like, I like that. I like, I no, like the locality. It was horrendous. <laughs> the, the adverts were horrific. They were like they were all sort of like bars and stuff, and it made them look like really trendy. But they'd used like mid noughties like song remixes. What, like Akon? No, no, like <laughs> no, not mid noughties. Sorry, like mid tens. Sort oh. of like a remix of like I don't know something like oh, sort of it's one of those songs you sort of, that people played when you were at like what some like odd Lady Gaga tune. Yeah, that yeah, they've like just that, thrown like, on and... like Sam Smith or something like oh, remix. Yeah. And Weird. It was, they were bizarre. Like it honestly looked like someone, like A level students, had made them for a media project, and <laughs> they'd somehow ended up being broadcast onto a cinema screen. As a as a random side point, talking about weird things you see in cinema. Mm. So I've been really getting into Tarantino recently. Yeah. As much as like we all, everyone likes Tarantino. You like Tarantino, Josh? Oh, big fan of Tarantino. Yeah, big, big, big fan I of Tarantino. Seen his uh, most recent one, Hateful Eight, because apparently oh, it's terrible, boring, but irrelevant to the point. <laughs> it's, so I've been like watching a lot of Tarantino's interviews and whatnot, mm. and he's like renowned for being a peculiar fella. In interviews, I think I saw the one with you know the Channel Four guy, a Christian Guru man. Yeah, and he he just says, "I am shutting you down." Yeah, I'm shutting you down. <laughs> and I saw that, I was like, "Ooh, let's delve a little deeper into Tarantino's interviews." He actually gets really strange. Yeah, he he does this one with he's doing the Django Unchained interview, mm. so it's a uh, it's a panel of four radio producers, four black guys, and he's doing the interview with. Jamie Foxx, Samuel Jackson, and the woman in Django. Mm-hmm. So he's like the only white guy in a group of eight. And he puts on, honestly, it is ridiculous. He puts on this really strange, like, fake gangster accent. For the whole thing? Or for just- the whole interview. Jesus. It's so peculiar. And weird. you can see, some of the comments on the YouTube are like, you can see Jamie Foxx saying, <laughs> in his words, it's like, you can see Samuel Jackson and Jamie Foxx have had to deal with this before. He's such an odd guy. He's I don't know really if he's doing it, like, bloke. intentionally or to provoke something or what he's going for but he, another like another really the opposite end he does this amazing interview about Kill Bill and he's ta- he actually says he says yeah if you're 12 or older go see Kill Bill you'll love it if you're a young girl go see Kill Bill it's a very empowering woman and this this woman who's interviewing him just like oh but all these innocent people die and he's just going on about no 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 it's totally empowering it's totally great for a young girl to see if you understand it and you're old enough go see it and he's he just he is sort of a, he is sort of as you would say sort of a a master of film like if you ever watch those videos where they break down like the references he uses yeah. like some of them are incredible it's absurd it's unreal 
like he, I don't know how he does it. I don't know where he thinks of some like, of these plot lines. Even like simple things, like some like transitions and camera shots. People say that's directly lifted from a like a a nineteen thirty specific Kubrick film that you've never heard. Of. Well, not even that. Like there are some <laughs> things that are like one of the things I saw was like lifted from like a uh, like a nineteen thirties children cartoon that had only ever been shown once. He's an absolute how wizard. Earth would he he's he's, found ma- he's magic in the film in- industry. How did he get into it? Because I don't know his first his first. Film was Reservoir Dogs, right? Uh, yeah, I think this is, yeah. And that was an unimaginably well-written screenplay. I know he did study film. I think he went to film school and whatnot. But I don't know where you go from going to film school, getting the inspiration from all your favourite directors and writers, and somehow just writing Reservoir Dogs. And yeah. the cast. The cast for Reservoir Dogs is unreal. Yeah, it is. I've tried to look him up on Wikipedia, trying to see. Uh, yeah, 14, he wrote his first ever screenplay. And then... He yeah he, oh no he he was first his first thing was he was hired to write the script from From Dust Till Dawn by Robert Kurtzman oh from Dust Till Dawn but he starred in it as well so he managed to do quite well out of yeah that. I don't understand his sort of reasons for be having to be in all of his films well with From Dust Till Dawn I actually think he plays the character he wrote very well. Mm. But when you look at his other roles in films, it's just ridiculous. He's isn't just it? playing himself, playing yeah. someone else. It's because in From Dust Till Dawn, he plays this strange, slightly murderous, slightly pedophile type, creepy 20 something guy. And he plays it perfectly because he's a weird guy anyway. Yeah. But in, say, Django, he, he plays a like, South African guy on a horse in the final scene. Yeah, that is really weird. And it's a really bad accent. Is he South African? Is he Australian? It, Exactly. So some we're not sh- we're not sure on which it's it's, it's de- that vague and that odd. It's definitely not his accent. Yeah. To put it that way. So yeah, to go back to sort of the Manchester uh, International Film Festival. Uh, so first, do a uh, public figure. So this was a documentary by a guy called Brian Corso. It's his directorial debut. Where's he from? He is from America. Oh, he's American. Yeah. yeah, and he um, basically he got the idea from like. Instagram and sort of seeing all these people on Instagram like their lives the influencers yeah. or oh and then the whole plot of this is like he tracked down influencers and then sort of followed their lives and then because sort of you watch it and you sort of first you start thinking oh this is a bit weird it's just sort of is it mostly what, like female models or like there's, a mix yeah, there's a of South the... African model there's a guy I'll get onto in a minute the probably most interesting character study yeah. and a really weird story I'm gonna tell about him and <laughs> yeah the other ones are like there's some food bloggers from uh, New York. Oh, and right, it starts off right. sort of looking how nice their lives are. And it sort of takes a really weird detour into what is, can I be described as an oddly deep look at the psychology behind social media addiction? I can believe that. And that really sounds does. very cool. And it brings in, like, it brings in, like, a whole host of experts. <laughs> and then it sort of, they say all these things, and then it sort of goes back, and you sort of, he sort of, in not really challenges, but sort of puts what the, um, puts what the experts have said onto the uh, people he's interviewing. Yeah, onto the influences he's learning about. You see, sort of, see, sort of, the, you see sort of the crack show. But where the most interesting person is, is a guy called uh, Sebastian Trilby. Yeah. And he is what is called a professional, with well, self-titled, professional memer. Really? And you might have seen... He, he, does he do the memes from scratch, or...? Uh, yeah, I think so. He got, uh, achieved a level of fame because he uh, did a campaign with Gucci. It was like a meme campaign that got wow. quite picked up by quite a lot of the national... That is quite impressive. ...media. But yeah, uh, basically, he sort of comes across as sort of a... Um, do you know, he comes... Like, in the, he sort of, they sort of show him out in public and he comes across as a bit of a like kind of self-aggrandizing, kind yes. of showy-offy kind of guy. And then you sort of have the bits when it's just... 
uh, the director and him and they're interviewing him and then he comes across as quite a likable chap <laughs> and i think it's sort of it's the perfect study of the sort of dichotomy between these people's they sort of have this carefully curated public persona yeah and then they have what they're actually like and it's really how, how far apart are the two well there's a really brilliant bit when he's sort of he's sort of interviewing him and he says the uh the uh mima guy says oh yeah there's this park in new york i can't visit anymore because of my fame and then Whoa. they call him out on it and say oh we'll go to this park then and then the next shot is him walking around this park and no one gives a toss he's there that like, is no so peculiar. And he's even like, Why what? would he say that, though? Why would he make such a, I have no idea. a, a bold and but almost is, irrelevant statement? Yeah, but that is the brilliant part of what I'm going to tell you next. Because I was sat in the screening watching this, and I thought this guy seemed like a bit of, you know, just a bit of a showy-offy. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't want to sort of criticise him. Oh, you're not going to tell me he was at the front or sat next to you? That's the one. Because I, there's, a, there's a little bit in it when he's talking about how sort of he's talking about his house and he's talking about how he loves these types of bags he has made and the bags are like um, they're like cuddly toys that they put yeah. zips on turn into bags and I thought I saw I saw someone out in the lobby with one of those bags earlier no he's got, way he's got, like, absolutely no way he's got like bright pink no hair. way did this happen he's got, he's got and also he's got bright pink hair so I'm listening so I'm sort of watching this and then suddenly like clicks in my mind I go oh my god he is sat in the row in front of me. And <laughs> Not I've been a chance. at the back of his head for the entire time. You didn't and, poke it. You must have poked him. No, no, no. Did, you, did you talk to him after at least? No, I was in a hush. Oh, was in a what rush do you mean you were in a rush? That is an absolute beautiful spot. So he was watching the premiere of... Yeah. W- was he an English influencer? No, he's American. He's American. He's New York. But, oh my goodness, that it is was, insane. But also, it was really weird. That is surreal. There was a bit, when I, when I first sat down to watch it, they were sort of, um, the, he was sat in front of me and obviously didn't know it was him at the time. And then there was a really weird bit where he was sort of being quite loud and obnoxious. About, what, in front of you or yeah, on the get, screen? about getting a beer or something. And I thought, that's a bit weird. He's a bit loud. <laughs> and then suddenly, like, about half an hour later, I was like, oh my God. I was like, I don't... <laughs> Mental. <laughs> Who were you with? Were you? I was just you by his, that, is, that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it was one of the most <laughs> honestly one of the most. Surely someone else must have noticed him. Like the people next to you, you know, when you clicked. Surely you look to them and you go, "Oh, maybe, maybe they've realised a long time they, before me." Everyone probably knew since the beginning. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a very unobservant moron. <laughs> have you ever been to a, a cinema screening with any of the directors or actors there? He was there as well. The oh, was, he? was there as well. He had like Q and A at the end. Was a was a few questions. Did he? Yeah. Did he? He didn't bring the man with the weird backpack up. Uh, he made him stand up half like so everyone knew he was there. Oh right, and of there was course. Quite, the other, quite a lot of the influence in it. Influence <clears> in it because it was. I think it might have actually been the world. Uh, no, it was, the, it was, I don't know if it was the world or UK premiere. Yeah. But yeah, the South African model was there. You know how much I don't have Instagram. I don't know if you do. Uh, I do. But I don't use it. Yeah. So I did hear the other night. Apparently, Instagram went off. For a few hours, yes, it shut down, mm. and I did. There were some great memes about all the way the influencers' their lives just instantly fall apart, and it is really weird how you can almost make a living off. How many followers do you reckon you need to make some decent money? Well, that's the thing. Like this guy was sort of he only has ninety k. Ninety. I I always thought around a hundred k. If you've got the right sort of content, you can just about get the sponsorships I'm and get something sure to happen. I'm pretty sure someone told me it, but not exactly sure who it was. I'm pretty sure you can, as low as like 5,000, you can start getting brand deals and stuff. Yeah, but that's always off the dodge, the like just brands you don't want to be involved with almost. Yeah. Like the real top end brands are always Squarespace, mm. which I think you make websites, yeah. Skillshare, yeah. you learn skills, and they're all on the big tech channels, and that's where the real money is. I know it's about 15 to $50 per thousand views 
which yeah. is really, really good money. And I suppose you get bonuses for sign-ups and stuff. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. you get your little sign-up code and you make all the money. People really make some niche livings nowadays. It's quite, yeah. it's quite cool. I think, to like, obviously, the way that advertising's changed now, that you can specifically, like, if you know <laughs> that a certain YouTuber's audience will love the product, yeah. and you go to them, you can get, you can sort of cultivate your own, you can perfectly map exactly the people... Yeah. It's sort of direct to consumer you know you can you know on YouTube now you can actually have as many adverts per video as you want yeah you do see some occasionally because like, like Mr Beast do you ever watch Mr Beast occasionally he does, yeah he does the you know big elegant giving fortunes away to randomers yeah. but he has about 10 adverts per video mm. speaking of advertising did you ever watch the film it was a while back it was a you know who played Two Two Face? Oh, thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking. Did you ever yes. watch it? I saw a bit of it in GCSE R. Oh, I really enjoyed. Thank you for smoking. Yeah. It was actually quite a really fun film. I would think about that film a lot. To be fair, whenever I see a no smoking sign, really, I, yeah. So, oh, that was. I, I actually <clears> thought of that while I was in the cinema watching this film. Yeah, because I left halfway through to the, to the toilet and I came back and for some reason it's like in the like in the Odeon, Odeon cinema. There's loads of the signs saying "Thank you for not smoking." Yeah. So who is smoking inside? It's like I it's, don't know. It's been 30, 13 a, years. Su- since surprising to know, I w- was out the other night at I think it was Death Institute. One of my friends managed to smoke inside and get kicked out. Nice. Absolute more. You know, you just look at someone and you just think absolute moron. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> you really. look at them and think they're just getting kicked out. There's no hope for them. <laughs> but with thank you for smoking. There's a really interesting part, quite quite deep into the film, when obviously he works for a cigarette company yeah. and he has a great line early on. He's talking about he's like, how do we not get people to smoke? It's 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 cool. It's sexy and it's <laughs> addictive. It's literally physically addictive. <laughs> how are not more people smoking? Get the young people smoking. Get the thirteen year olds, the fourteen year olds. Get them all on cigarettes and then he has to do like a vague court case of sorts and they ask him right at the end they're like would you let your son smoke and he pauses you know forever you think he's just gonna say no and he goes you know what on his 18th birthday i'll give him his first pack of cigarettes (laughs) and it's just amazing it's just like a really good role played by him so before I go on to uh, Princess of the Row, have you been uh, frequenting the cinema this week? I have not been frequenting the cinema much, but I've been dabbling on Netflix a little. Right. And I finally got a bit into Russian Doll. Yes. Yes. How much um, did you watch? I finished it in the end. You finished it. I've watched about five episodes, mm. and they're only about 20, 30-minute episodes, yeah, aren't tw- they? Yeah, 23 minutes long. Yeah, I, but I unfortunately saw the eighth episode, a bit of it, when my friend was watching it. Because oh, okay. we all started together. Yeah. We got about three TVs in the house. And... There was something happening with mirrors, and he went, the mirrors are really key, and I have absolutely no idea what's going to go on. Yeah, that is kind of true in a way. Yeah, did you enjoy it, though? I did enjoy it. I thought it was one of the uh, better... The better Groundhog Day versions. Yes. Yeah. Sort of, uh, that trope has been done quite a lot to death, really. Literally, literally, happy death day to you, to death. (laughs) Yeah. But no, I thought it was, I'm a big fan of Natasha Leon, who plays the main character. Yeah, she, obviously, what did you first know her for? Uh, well, obviously, briefly, American Pie. Oh, American Pie. Black. The moment she came in, I was like, ah, yes, American Pie. But I never watched Orange is the New Black. I always felt it was a bit too American, a bit too soft, almost. These first two series are quite good. Uh, the rest of them, you can watch if you're bored, but I wouldn't I, I mean, highly recommend when, them. I when mean, when I watched Orange is the New Black, only a few episodes, I just thought, like... It's not quite as rough as I want it to be. I want it, I want a prison drama now, to seri- be absolutely destructive. Series two gets series two is probably the best one. They all seemed kind of I don't know way too pally. 
Yeah. Way no, too it does, friendly. It, I want it to be absolute carnage yeah, in a prison. Yeah, it does get a bit more, especially it's fair, in the second series especially, it does get quite like, uh, there's some quite interesting, like the whole racial dynamic of it. Yes. That becomes, course. especially in the second series, that does become a lot higher yeah. and that's actually quite interesting. But after that, you can... Did you ever watch The Night Of? Uh, the Night Of. Uh, ah, you didn't. Probably no, this not. This is very interesting. You know Riz Ahmed? Yes. Yeah, from Four Lions. Most Nightcrawler. Yeah. Oh, he is very good in Nightcrawler um, as well. Wasn't he a superhero film recently? No, I don't think oh, so. You've had him. Oh my goodness, he's in Venom, isn't he? Yes. Venom was an absolute pile of garbage, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but The Night Of is actually what Riz Ahmed, I think he won his Emmy for. Oh yeah. And it's a mini-series, say eight episodes. I watched it maybe a couple of months ago, but I don't think we've ever mentioned it. And it is unreal how good it is. It's about a guy who is... I don't want to give away too much, but like in the first episode, you do see all the... It might be one of the best first episodes I've ever seen of a series. He's accused of murdering a girl. He ends up in prison as such. And wow, the depth they go into prison life and to his backstory, it is absurd. But it does give you a real good view of prison life. Like People have a bad time in there. Yeah. In American prisons, the amount of the racial dynamics, the amount of gang violence is absolutely absurd. Of course, he's accused of murdering a girl. So he does not have a good time to begin with, and it is just, it's nice and gritty. It's quite far from Orange is the New Black in the amount of grittiness going on. Yeah. Is that on Netflix? Uh, no, I think you have to, I think it's HBO, and you have ah, to okay. find it elsewhere. Yeah. I don't know how you watch HBO in England, really. Um, I, actually, yes, I don't know how you do that. I think, don't know if you can get a subscription to it. Mm. I know that uh, quite a lot of the stuff is recycled onto Sky Atlantic, like Game of Yeah, Friends. they do kind of move it over. Speaking of Sky Atlantic, did you hear about Matthew McConaughey's new film? Uh, apparently, that's yeah. Apparently, that's god awful. Oh yes, as Have someone, you seen it? no, but as I read somewhere, it went. This is the final nail in the coffin for the McConaughey. That is it. It is done. He is peaked. He's had his Oscar. He's done some amazing films, and he is gone again. Well, I was listening to the um uh, uh what's it called? Uh, Simon Mayo, Mark Commode film yeah. podcast, and I was listening to that last <clears> week talking about talking about Serenity because obviously they do the box office top ten, <laughs> and they couldn't find any data on how many people have actually seen the film. Really? Because apparently it's got. Well, I heard it got a cinema release, but I no, know. I thought it was just Sky. Well, no, no, it did get a cinema because I've seen it on the side or of buses. Or Sky Cinema or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but I've seen it on the side of buses, but I don't know where you'd go to find it or watch it. <sighs> Who even has Sky nowadays? Yeah, been- everyone just kind of has like we just got a new smart TV, and everyone just has Netflix and yeah, maybe Amazon Prime. It is sort of a dying not a lot sort of going area. on. Talking of a HBO, actually, uh, we will touch on this briefly, and some of this may end up being edited out if one of us actually says anything libelous. <laughs> but how, did you get a chance to watch uh, any of uh, Leaving Neverland? No, I did not manage to watch any of Leaving Neverland. All I've watched is presumably what you've seen as well, and a lot of True Geordie talking about it. Yeah, I watched that. That was interesting. I've watched a lot of that. Yeah. And all I've got are these very biased opinions, because it's all about Leaving Neverland's out, and then the R. Kelly documentary mm. out. And you get a look into real, true, probably paedophile lives, and it's really absurd, crazy yeah. stuff. I think the one thing I would, I bet think we'll do like a really in-depth review of it, because I must c- confess that some of it I didn't watch in the greatest ad- amount of attention. Really? So I think I was doing some other stuff while watching it. But I think, ultimately, the thing to remember, if you do end up watching it, is it is four hours long, so there's two two-hour Four hours? Two two-hour episodes. It was like an hour and a half. No. The amount of people that have seen it, no, honestly, the amount of people that have seen it, I am doubting some of them have seen it now. Yeah. 
considering it's four hours it is it was done over two separate nights so it was two hours Mm. one night and two hours the next night i think ultimately the thing you have to remember going into it is it isn't like it isn't like a groundbreaking smoking gun kind of documentary it's a very sort of it's more of a character study over the culture that let him potentially do what he potentially allegedly did and also it's a very it's a really one of the most introspective looks at the whole grooming process yeah and it's sort of because it's it's utterly bizarre like looking at these men's lives now because i think the the most telling thing it's is, when you just glance back at some jimmy savile things or because yeah. you just glance at an interview and you just think of course <laughs> how yeah. could they not have been <laughs> but it's sort of like because like them uh <clears throat> the vi- alleged victims and their parents you sort of see them recounting stories about their experiences like with michael jackson and they still, to an extent, recount them fondly. Yeah. Because they were so sort of caught they up. They were in so who involved in the situation yeah. and so completely under the influence of this incredible. The most famous man in the world. Yeah. There, there's no one as famous as Michael Jackson. And they. Ge- like, it's absurd. And at the time, they genuinely thought they were like in a relationship with him. Yeah. Oh. But yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate on whether or not it's true, but I thought it was an incredibly compelling piece of a documentary filmmaking. Did you ever watch the old Michael Jackson documentary that was Living with Michael Jackson? And uh, it was made by, I think, a Channel 4 or BBC. Uh, Martin Bashir. Yes. I've never watched that one. I've watched so, Louis Theroux making a documentary on Martin Bashir making a documentary no, on Louis Theroux. That's the interesting. So in English lessons. In it must have been GCSE last time I did English, and we watched the Bashir documentary, the actual Bashir one. Yeah, and we watched it, and we had to analyze why he basically why he never got a job again. Mm. He was absolutely outcast from basically not social media from broadcasting society. Yeah, because he painted Michael Jackson in such a bad light. Because he did these interviews with Michael and children, and there's interviews of Michael and a kid, and a kid saying, "Oh, I've slept in his bed," and Michael saying, "Oh." It's the most beautiful thing you can do, having someone share your bed. And Bashir is just going in on him totally. Yeah. And after everyone tried to call out Bashir as if he was some madman, and people are saying now they're like, well, he was obviously bang on the money. Yeah. Well, was- a, I was watching the um, a bit a, a clip <clears throat> from the H3H3 podcast this morning. Oh, I love they, H3. They, I, haven't wa- I haven't watched their podcast in ages. No, neither, they had a, like, quite a long break for a while. Did you ever watch their videos back in the day when they were proper memers? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, seen, like, I've seen most of them. Yeah. It was Ethan and Ela, and they just do Vape Nation yeah, and all yeah, that. Ones, Utter yeah. Garbage. It was great fun. But yeah, there's, they sort of, he brings up the clip, and it's probably one of the best <clears throat> clips from Martin Bashir's documentary. And it's him, and I can't remember what the kid's called he's with Michael Jackson, the kid. Yeah. Is it the Mexican Hispanic yes. kid? Yes. And he says something, uh, the kid says something along the lines of, um, Something about sleeping. Martin Bashir asked him a question about sleeping in Michael Jackson's bed, and he goes something. Says something about I was kind of wanted to do it, and then Michael said, "If you, you if you loved me, you'd do it." And then it cuts to like Michael Jackson. Then he Martin Bashir says to Mike, Michael Jackson, "Isn't that a bit weird?" And he's just like, "No, um, they want to sleep in my bed." Oh, it's crazy. It's, yeah, oh, it's strange. I don't understand how people were so blind to a lot of things. I think in the past 10, 20 years. Well, Almost I think it's ultimately because so many past people, fifty years, you never well, know. Well, it's so many people's careers and stuff rested on it. Like people, know, like Michael Jackson's family, know that if they can keep his legacy fairly tarnished free, yeah, they get a bit, the next, they, they got a lot of money coming for the next in. fifty years. And that was in, in the True Jordy podcast. Lawrence was talking a bit about um, the influence of Michael Jackson in like popular music now, and like even like Kanye West sampled him. Oh yeah, and in absolutely. the video for what's the video for? 
It's the video for the, my, Oh My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yeah. It's the backdrop is a picture of Michael Jackson's. Yeah, like and you know the head. Jackson 5, what's the classic Jackson 5 song? Uh, Rockin' Robin. No, the other, ABC. ABC? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that gets sampled so much. Yeah. That's in all sorts of dance tunes. You'll be in 256 and that'll be on versus some other song. And mm. it's just, but then it makes you think like, <clears throat> with the Jackson 5, <clears throat> this is going quite morally deep into this. With the Jackson Fat, is it wrong to play their music? Well, it's because whole... he's so he's a kid. He's like he's younger than us. He's like fourteen. Yeah. Well, ultimately, like <clears throat> I guess that uh, another way of looking at that sort of come background to films is you sort of hear stuff about should Bohemian Rhapsody have got awards when Brian Singer was accused of what yes. he was accused of because you could you can argue well he's financially benefiting from this so no you shouldn't give him awards yeah. but also there are 500 other people who have worked on this film and if the film deserves an award it deserves the award yeah and it's a very difficult situation you're yeah. in where you're sort of like you do ultimately want to punish someone if they have yeah. done obviously have done it, it's what i heard things. recently that's quite interesting that apparently i don't think serial killers in america are allowed to write books no they're not allowed to profit off their yeah. profit off their notoriety but you know what's really strange the comparison in japan there's a really famous cannibal mm. there's a guy who is known for killing a woman and eating her yeah and he goes to like interviews and talks and he's like a minor celebrity it is really it's weird. It's so strange how the cultures differ so much, the West to East sort of thing. I think it should be something that is <clears> looked at, and I don't think you should be able to profit off doing something horrific. I, maybe not the profit, but the amount of the amount of knowledge you could maybe get from a serial killer who could write an autobiography, mm. the amount you'd learn about the mind, because they could put things in that they'd never say to a police officer and never say to a psychologist, but they could just write whatever they wanted. But I think the danger is, like, I don't know if you watched the uh, the confession tape. No, I never Ted watched Bundy. the Ted Bundy. That was no, the problem. I, I watched all of them. And it is a very bizarre dynamic because ultimately, like, you can tell that Ted Bundy's enjoying it. Yeah, and he's, absolutely. And he is so, well, not he's that intelligent. Well, obviously, he's a very intelligent man, clearly, of all the people. He's yeah. a lawyer before he uh, was trained. Yeah, he defended before. himself. Right? Yeah, he defended himself. Yeah. Madness. But ultimately like you can tell that he knows that he has the interviewer on strings yeah and he's sort of putting everything in such a light that sort of you can tell he wants to be in control and it's sort of trying to skew the he was just executed right yes he got the electric chair in 1989 he was he was done in there was absolutely no hope for him right in the end he confessed yes the last thing he did was like confess and they were like nope and then did it anyway madness also there's a really weird story about that that um, <laughs> no, what is, is it a conspiracy that apparently he didn't confess no there's this conspiracy about his execution executioner i should say yeah because obviously in america the um when they do all this uh, uh i'm so someone, shocked the electric chair still exists yeah when they um electrocute someone they have the person flicking the switch has a like a black hood on yeah to, obviously so the family don't know who did it so they can't track him down and there's a quite a compelling case for the fact the person who did it was a woman Really? Because he, obviously he killed like 30 women or whatever. Wow. Yeah. That is so peculiar. But getting back to sort of a... Uh, off Vague back, film. Getting sort of back thing. to films, I will just talk talk quickly about the second film I watched at the Manchester International Film Festival, which was uh, Princess of the Row. Which, which was, you said was amazing. It was amazing. It was uh, the first film that I gave five out of five for in the Mancunian. Clearly someone hasn't watched Blindspotting. But yeah. I'm impressed. A five out of five is pretty big for Josh. It was incredible. It was, it was like... All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. What language was it in? English. English? Where yep. was it made? Uh, America. 
Can you name any directors or actors? Uh, the director was called uh, Max Carlson. Not a debut or? Uh, I think it might have been one, definitely one of his first. And I, the main, I'm going to look up who the main actress in it was because I wrote the review for it uh, last week. So. Had you heard of her before? Uh, uh, not really. I have heard of the guy who plays... So basically, I should just go in on the plot slightly. It is a, basically a film um, about a girl who uh, is in foster care. Yep. And she originally lived with her parents, and her dad uh, went to Afghanistan, uh, got a traumatic head injury. Is this like 2004, 2005 yeah. time? Uh, yeah, got a traumatic brain injury, came back, uh, wasn't the same since, PTSD, ended up homeless. Her mother got into alcohol, drank herself to death. Yep. And she now is in the foster system, uh, bouncing from like, home to home. Some of the homes are a bit abusive, and she now wants to live on the streets with her dad. So they try to escape social services by her and her dad run off to the sort of recesses of California. Weird. It is an incredibly powerful so strange. Film. Sounds amazing, though. Uh, how so how the, long is it? Two hours? Two uh, hours only an hour and a half. Oh, no. It was beautifully concise. Like I, Obviously, I'm a leading proponent for <clears> shorter <throat> films. But the one and a half hour film... Yeah, <laughs> the, but, uh, the, modern, the modern day time. It didn't need. It didn't need any longer. It was uh, no. so the uh, main female character is. I think she plays a thirteen-year-old called uh, Taylor Buck. And she, how old is she in real life? Uh, I'll have a quick look. Sixteen, probably. Uh, she won the award for best actress at the. Um, uh, the they sort of have a uh, award ceremony at the end of a uh, Manchester Film Festival. Yeah. Uh, she was born in 2003, which would make her... Oh my goodness, she was 16, yeah. 15. I think she's 15 now, because she was born on November the 14th. So, yeah. Can you imagine having that much talent as a child? I know, it's mental. Like, you watch it. <laughs> it's, like, ab- actually absurd. It is, like, it is... We're there struggling at GCSEs, and people are making your first five-star review in the Mancunian. Like when, you, when you watch the film, you forget how young she is. Yeah. Like, you think, like, this, it was incredible. And uh, her dad was played very well by uh, Eddie... Gathiji, who you will probably know because you're a fan of X-Men First Class as he's the guy who plays Darwin. Oh, right, The yeah. guy who gets like the thing put down his throat. Yeah, yeah. Dies know, pretty mean. soon in the film. Yeah, he's basically, it's very good in the sense that it, he's basically playing someone who's effectively mute because obviously he has oh, his brain Oh, because he's, he's so damaged the but PTSD it's really, one. Like, there's, it's a really weird sort of character study of the um, uh, father-daughter relationship. So I'm guessing it starts like 15 minutes in, it's all happened, her mum's dead. And well, her no, dad's very of, damaged. It goes, sort of goes back to that. Oh, it's so of, it's a lot of flashbacks, sort of yeah, yeah, in not, layered not sort very of linear, lot very linear. Yeah, but it sort of yeah, it just sort of looks at sort of the father daughter relationship and the sort of it, it handles a lot of dark themes. Mm. So it's sort of you have like prostitution, addiction, uh, sort of um, obviously mental illness, yeah, uh, PTSD, sort of, all yeah, of that. poverty, yeah. homelessness, and it's, it's sort of a very bleak thing. But sort of the way it's sort of set up is sort of the, so the director paints this sort of horrendously bleak scene and that is what really allows Where, where's it set just california los angeles los angeles LA. and that is what the allowed, bad end the bad end. yeah i'll sort of get onto that in a second and it sort of brings it sort of allows the father-daughter relationship to sort of shine through that yeah and sort of layers on top of that but really the best thing about the film the thing that made me tip it over to the five star from like four and a half or four <laughs> is the cinematography is insane <clears throat> who did the cinematography i'm not entirely sure i didn't it's very hard to find out because obviously it hasn't oh, yeah, it's released such an yet. indie film, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So all these things are still uh, awaiting distribution. Uh, this one should be... F- I'm not entirely sure about this one. The other one is going on Netflix, the public figures. That'll be on Netflix mm. in uh, July or 
June. What was the general reception off the crowd after these films then? Uh, the general reception from the crowd was... Fairly positive? Well, the, this one, the first one was, yeah, the first one was very positive. This one less so because it was the second showing. So the majority of people had seen it the week before. Mm, so mm. I was like, there were about five of us in the cinema at this one. But just to go back to the cinematography, it's the last thing I want to say, is they did an excellent job of sort of telling the story through the cinematography in the sense that obviously she has this life in downtown Los Angeles and it was sort of very dark, very grimy kind of Mm. setting. And then you have a very... And then obviously there's her chance of being fostered by Martin Sheen, of all people. Martin Sheen's yeah. in it. How strange. <laughs> and yeah, and that sort of, they sort of use a really weird contrast, sort of the grimy downtown streets of Los Angeles and sort of the lush greenery of sort of upstate California yeah. where she could go and live if she wanted to. And that sort of the whole film's her moral dilemma between does she stay with her family, <laughs> even though it will basically effectively ruin her future, or does she take the opportunity afforded to her to go and sort of... Wow. Uh, no, it does sound good. It does sound really it's very enjoyable. good. I think when it comes out, <clears throat> uh, it's definitely one, definitely one to watch. So, as have you absolutely have you gandered at all at the? I know, I know, we love talking about it, but the live action films that are kicking about. Oh God, I watched the trailer for Aladdin. Oh wow, what an absolute shocker! <laughs> well, the thing is, it doesn't, it doesn't. You know me, wishes genie. You heard of it? <laughs> yeah, if you've watched the original Aladdin. The thing I don't. Why? Understand. Why do they do that? Well, the thing is, like, ultimately, is I don't think it'll be bad. When I was watching the trailer, I was just thinking, this is so unnecessary. It's the most it's unnecessary so weird. I don't, film. I don't get why they've done the, the... When they do a live-action film, they should always just take the best parts everyone already knows mm. and just play them for two minutes. It wants to be things you recognise. It doesn't want to be a weird variation of a character you really liked in the first place that you're now going to hate and it's just a... I don't think ev- anyone's. I don't think anyone's going to really hate Will Smith's performance as the genie. But I don't think anyone's going to oh, love it. I think a lot of people are going to hate it. I, I actually think it's going to get an absolutely ridiculous response. I don't think it will get a too bad bad critical response. To be honest, Whoa, like. I don't know. The the advert got bad enough response. Yeah, he became a meme for about two weeks. Now, have you seen the most recent trailer? Like no, really, I don't really think I've, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, there's been a new one. Sort of, it was released on Will Smith's personal YouTube channel. <sighs> that yeah, it must have been like yeah, it was like last week. <laughs> and that is, it looks better. Yeah, it doesn't make it look bad. But of course, it got quite a lot of controversy for sort of the uh, Jafar, who is terrible. <laughs> Even in the trailer, he is appalling. Oh wow, Dumbo looks pretty bad as well. Yeah, um, why does Colin Farrell have one arm? I don't, I don't really have much faith in that uh, at Danny all. Danny DeVito's in it, that's a good shout. Speaking of that sort of thing, did you ever watch the Paddington films? I haven't, no. Oh, you know they're meant to be really amazing. Yeah, yeah I've heard good things about them. Like Paddington 1 and 2, it's yeah. uh, Hugh Grant. Bonneville. Huh? Oh, but they're both in it. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone called Hugh. All the yeah, no, Hughes. it's meant to be really... I really need to go see one of the Paddington um, because films Because the soon. main woman in it is the woman from Shape of Water. Whose oh, name the, has the escaped mute, me. mute? Is she mute? Yes, yeah, she's mute. Water. I still haven't seen Shape of Water. Fran- it's Fran- so annoying. Francesca, Francine, something. Fran. <laughs> yeah, Fran- I know, no, I know you. I know. Did, did, did she? Did based. she win the Oscar for Shape of Water? Yeah, I believe she did. But she didn't talk in the whole film, right? Uh, she talks. A she bit. kind of tries. Yeah. It's really weird. Have you seen The Shape of Water? No, I haven't. Oh, it's really a, good. Yeah, no, I do love Guillermo del Toro. Have you seen his other films? He's. Uh, like Pan's Labyrinth. Maybe not that. That's pretty bad. But <laughs> <laughs> that is, as I said, my least favourite popular film out there. You know who was supposed to be directing The Hobbit? 
Oh yeah, until... he would have done amazing at yeah, the Hobbit. Would have probably been much better than the uh, basically rehashing Lord of the Rings again. Who did who did they take? Did they just get Peter Jackson again? Yeah, Peter Jackson. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, Guillermo del Toro does one of the most impressive action films I've probably ever seen in Which Pacific one? Rim. Oh yeah, I've heard good things. About it that. is really incredible. It's you know. You watch Transformers and you see it and you think, wow, this has so much potential. This could be great if they yeah. just <laughs> didn't have Michael Bay directing it. It's like that. You know a Transformers, it's all bash, smash, and just action and mm. too fast. You don't know what's going on. Pacific Rim, it's massive robots and exciting monsters, but done so much slower, so much cooler. And on a big screen, it looks amazing. And yeah. you're so much more involved in it. Yeah, I've heard good things about it, but I haven't seen it myself. Uh, isn't it? Is it based on a Japanese? It's based on anime. It does. It features. I think it's Idris Elba, the blonde lad from um, Sons of Anarchy, and a Japanese girl. Mm. So I think it does have some vague like. It, it feels like it has all of connotations to Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Is it part? It's not part of the monsters, legendary monsters universe. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But okay. it. it I think there's Pacific Rim 2 out now. Yeah, I, think it, yeah, I haven't I've seen heard. that yet, but I would no. love to see that. The, the weird thing about the um, whole, uh, sort of to take a side note here, from the, <laughs> have you seen the original, not the original, the uh, first Godzilla the remake? The one Jack Black. No, no, no. That's Jumanji, isn't it? No. One moment about that is King Kong. Oh, nice. Absolute side points. <laughs> yeah. But no, I haven't seen the Godzilla one. No, the most recent one had well, sort of advertised as sort of oh, Brian Cranston. Wait, is it the Brian Cranston one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did he is see in it. The film. Um, <laughs> very rarely he's sort of in the first 10 minutes of the film he that's dies. kind of like The Rock in Fighting With My Family yeah he is, if, he's not in the film I'm assuming he doesn't die though no but uh, yes I guess oh yeah. he does die straight away in Godzilla doesn't he yeah. Grandson first scene yeah. he, the door's shut and him and his wife do the hand thing right and then he dies and they yes yeah no no, yeah. I, no I have seen it it's alright it's alright what I was going to make is there is a sequel coming out in September and it has uh, Millie Bobby Brown in from... Oh, Millie Bobby Stranger Brown. Rang. Drake's, Drake's friend. Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah. You know, she actually got adopted by... Well, not technically adopted by... Who plays Jesse in in Breaking Bad? Uh, Aaron Paul. Yeah, kind of half adopted by him. Why? I don't know. I was watching... Do you ever watch those... Um, It'll be two celebrities search the most Googled questions going. Oh, right, yeah. And it was him and Emily Radachowski. Mm. And it was like, is Aaron Paul related to Millie Bob Brown? And he goes, yeah, she's my adopted daughter. That's really weird. Really strange. Yeah, yeah I don't know I think that. the whole of Hollywood has this m- crazy obsession with Millie Bob Brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up, uh, something I saw the trailer for, where it would have been more recent if we'd done this last week, but we didn't, um, is, uh, have you seen the trailer for Midsummer? No. Oh, ooh. No, no. Carry it on. is uh, Ari Aster's latest film. He uh, last year did Hereditary or the year before. Oh, did you ever watch Hereditary? No. Freaky stuff. Well, very, very freaky stuff. Hereditary. Mm. Hey, oh, that is an uncomfortable film to watch. As uncomfortable, uh, Suspiria, Hereditary, all that stuff. Creepy. Well, on that note, there is another uh, looks to be a very creepy film. Uh, is a. It's a bit like uh, I've heard it being compared a bit to The Wicker Man. So it's sort of. This, Have you ever seen the original Wicker Man? Uh, I've seen. Tell what bloody show all I the bet time. You've seen the Nicolas Cage remake, haven't you? No, but I have seen. I've seen the end of the Wicker Man, and you'll never guess where I saw it. Um. Oh, 
Oh, I don't know, home? Nope, the second floor of Factory Nightclub in Manchester. Oh, yeah. There's no, it always plays the there. It always plays on the middle floor with the indie music. Yeah. yeah. And for some reason, they always play... The thing that disturbs me most, they always play that the video for Daft Punk's um, Technology. Yeah, it's That's, creepy. That oh, scares the hell out of me I have not been to time. Factory in so long. No, I haven't been since like, last... Yeah, absolutely. I think, oh. I, I think I was there a year ago today. I'm really? pretty sure I went there on St. Patrick's Day last year. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> St. Patrick's Day is nice when it comes around. I enjoy it. It's a nice day of drinking. I don't and... like Guinness, so I'm not a fan. <sighs> yeah, you, if you buy two at Spoons, you get a hat. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, on the topic of The Wicker Man, I remember I actually watched the Nicolas Cage remake, mm. and I got like really scared by it. I was really young. I must have been like maybe eight or nine. I remember talking to my mum, and my mum's like, oh, The Wicker Man. She must have thought I'd seen the old one. Yeah. And she's like, just remember, James, it's not real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that was about it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good help, though, to be fair. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is a bit of an eerie film. Yeah. I've heard good... Yeah, I, I, it looks... The trailer looks to be a really strange film. And it looks to be a very sort of... The weirdness is sort of the fact that it's a horror film. But from what I can gather from the trailer, the whole thing is, like, going to be bathed in light. Weird. So it's going to be really, really sort of light, but also a horror film. I... Did you ever watch Torchwood back in the day? Uh, I've watched some of it. So I always I wasn't allowed to watch it. Properly. Yes, because Torchwood is a really gory version of Doctor Who. Yeah. and there is one episode in Torchwood where some of them get basically hacked to bits and kind of eaten in a forest. Nice. And I remember specifically watching it because at the start it's the middle of the day, and my logic as a kid was always, oh, if it's light outside, it can't be scary. Mm. And as the episode gets on, it, it gets it gets dark. And things get bad. Yeah. <laughs> things no, get very bad. I think it, like, by the time Torchwood, by the time I was old enough to watch Torchwood or sort of... Uh, You'd already lost interest yeah, in lost interest the whole Doctor Who, Who universe. Yeah. Are but, you looking forward to Us? That is probably the biggest film coming out soon. I am looking forward to it in a sense, but I probably won't get to see it in the cinema because I'm a wimp. Did you see Get Out in the cinema? No. I did actually see Get Out in the cinema. Mm. And I saw it in what is the worst cinema in Manchester. Any guesses? Odeon. No, much worse. Much worse than Odeon. I know, it's incredible yeah. that, isn't it? No, even worse. Worse than any of them. Where? Do-do-do-do, Cineworld in Didsbury. Jesus. <laughs> it is the most horrendous group of, like, 13, 14-year-olds you've ever seen mm-hmm. with so much popcorn, more Tango Ice Blast than sense, <laughs> and it is ridiculous. <laughs> it is absolutely absurd. It was a tenor to see it as well. The place was packed out, and the least scary bits, people would jump up in fear. Mm. And But Get Out was really, really amazing film to watch. Watch I think in the cinema. From what I've I've <clears> seen a bit of clips from Get Out. You haven't seen it, really? Not the whole thing, but I've oh. seen I've seen I'd say I could patchwork together about actually twenty five percent of it. That's what I found really interesting about Get Out because you know normally trailers give away way too much. Like my yeah. mate Max will never watch a trailer for any film mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to see it. What Get Out did really well, I watched all the trailers they'd released and they cut the trailers so well. There were so many surprises in the film. Yeah. There were so many bits from the trailers and then you see it in the film and it's totally different to what you thought it was mm-hmm. going to be. It's like, you know, I think Paul Thomas Anderson cuts his own trailers. Yeah. So you go in with what you think he wants you to know when when you go in and then you actually get a full feel mm. for the film when you're in there. Before I continue this trailer discussion, I've just been informed that I went to 42's and not Factory. Wow. If that matters to anyone listening. Was uh, that uh, your brother or your girlfriend? Uh, Claudia, how my brother would know that is... I don't know. That'd be really disturbing if he knew I that. I don't know. You, 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 you think that about twins, don't you? That they have a bit of a sense. Yeah, telepathic. Literally. We're not telepathic, no. You don't know. Uh, we're definitely not telepathic. The situation might come up one day where you have to be. No, I remember this is a really weird aside, but we can go back to this. 
Uh, I remember at school, I remember something, I think a teacher once made a joke about twins being telepathic. And for she about tested next, it. For about the next 48 hours, people kept running up to me and just punching me to see if my brother felt it. Just you? Well, you were the us. one getting punched. Just, just, for the, just for either of us, just for the sake of it. But yeah, that is <laughs> a true it. story. But it. to go back to, uh, yeah, the thing about trailers that most people don't actually realise is that you're quite right in saying that it's generally not the director <clears throat> that cuts them. Yeah, yeah. Which is why all the thing with Suicide Squad happened. Oh my goodness, what a shock. Do you know about that? No, no, but go Effectively, on. the uh, original film screen tested horrifically. Oh, yeah. So then they recut the trailer, showed people the trailer. Trailer went down really well. So then they thought, I know what we'll do. We'll get the we'll get the team who did the the trailer people. And obviously these are people who are trained to make trailers and not to, film, not films. Yeah, to instead key. recut the entire film, which is why the film is so god awful and makes no sense. That does make, that does that does make a lot of sense. It was though, cut in by retrospect. Because it was cut by people. It's who like, didn't did you ever watch film. something say like the really bad end of filmmaking, like the Resident Evil films? No. Possibly. So I did watch them. I really enjoyed them because I was young and they were quite fun. Mm. But my old music technician, Matt, made the point in high school. He was like, the people they get for these sorts of films when they're making a video game into a film, they're not even directors. They make, like, music videos, these guys. They just, they'll direct a few music videos, a few kind of short action shots. They're like, oh, put them on this film, see how it goes down. And that's why they come out like such a mess. Mm. They're not real directors. They haven't been to film school. They've just kind of got the job somehow and managed to cut something up to bits. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the sort of, I think people probably overestimate the skill it takes to cut an entire film oh, as opposed absolutely. to just doing like something two hours, two A two-hour film, it takes you days, days, weeks, working solidly mm. to get it absolutely spot on. I don't think that's one of the things I probably struggle with the most about uh, right, uh, like making a film. Is like we'd yeah. be able to do there's, there's vloggers I watch who make 15-minute videos, 20-minute videos, and I know they take about six to eight hours for something so short. Yeah. And they're done perfectly, but the amount of effort you have mm. to put in for such a little little bit of <laughs> little little bit of reward. That's what I kind of like about the podcast. It takes an hour to make an hour, and then you do the magic behind the scene. <laughs> Well, I only have, I don't. Uh, it's sort of. I don't want to let anyone sort of <clears throat> peek behind the curtain of the magic behind the final cut. But there are very, very few things that I ever add oh, out. Oh, I imagine. I imagine it's it's pretty raw. I just go. To be fair, now I've in, now we've started doing the thing where I just press the buttons at the beginning and end. There are times now I don't even have to like cut them properly. Wow, I don't that's even have quite to cut I can just cut the be- make the beginning the beginning, make the end the end, and that's it. <laughs> I love that. Unless I love we've done that. something horrendous in the middle, where I have to take bits out. But we've only ever done that a few times. Oh, right. It's only ever been the me that's done it. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking that today. Someone was asking me about whether you can swear on screen. Mm. And obviously, I've been in the pub all day. <laughs> so I was like, be careful, James. Like, I've never once sworn on this. I don't think I've ever sworn. I've just done Oh, you, you just say things you shouldn't, don't you, James? <laughs> it's really the libel that's the thing that will get me in the end. Thing is, I kind of always want a bit of libel. I want a, <laughs> I want a little lawsuit on the side. Anyway, I'm guessing we're going to probably wrap up up for the day. So uh, So I hope for for everyone listening, enjoy it. Enjoy Uh, your stuff. We'll see (laughs) you the same time next week.